everything you need to know in order to succeed in marriage. From practical advice to current events, this is the XO Podcast. Now here's your host, Brent Evans. Hey, this is the XO Podcast. We are back again. This is Tuesday. This is March the 28th. Am I right? I don't know that you are. The 27th. You're not right. <laughs> <laughs> so close. The days are like a blur this year for me. Uh, anyway, we're, we're having a great time here talking about marriage and talking about love and life and just how you can thrive in relationships. Every week we do this. We love talking about it. And again, you know, this is put on by Marriage Today. Marriage Today is an outreach that my father, Jimmy Evans, started almost 25 years ago. And every day we're out there, we're talking to people about how to have a successful relationship and to tell people they have a 100% chance of success in marriage. No matter what you hear out there, you can succeed in marriage if you do things the right way. And so we're excited to talk to you about marriage and relationships. And we have an exciting guest on the program today. And in fact, we have Facebook joining us live. And we're going to be talking to you guys all throughout the podcast today. But Mo Isom is joining us from Atlanta, Georgia today. And welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much. I'm excited to be with you guys. And just let me read your official bio here. Mo <laughs> is the New York Times bestselling author of Wreck My Life. She maintains a thriving nationwide speaking ministry and facilitates a faith center blog, which is moisom.com, that has garnered millions of views to date. Isom is a former All-American goalkeeper for the LSU soccer team, Go Tigers, and holds the LSU all-time all <laughs> goalkeeping record, as well as the number three SEC all-time shutout record. She trained with the U.S. Women's National Program, was honored as the National Player of the Week, has been featured in Sports Illustrated, and has also appeared on ESPN Sports Center Top 10 Plays. I watched that. A 90-yard kick. <laughs> that's right. That's the one that you were on Sports Center for, right? That's right. Yeah, it was my second game ever as a freshman. Oh and gosh. I was a goalkeeper and scored a 90-yard goal. It's pretty impressive. Best day of my life. Worst day of that other keeper's life. It was awesome. <laughs> it hit and bounced right over that keeper's head. That was pretty great. Uh, you're yep. also on The Ellen Show, ESPN, CBS, The 700 Club, and countless other platforms. One of the most important points is you and your husband, Jeremiah, have two children and live in Atlanta, Georgia. So officially, yes. welcome to EXO Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I always like the intros that include my sports background because now I just birth humans, huge humans. And if I tried to kick <laughs> any type of soccer ball, I'd tear everything down my leg. So I'm like, relive <laughs> the glory days. It's exciting. Yeah, yeah it's impressive. Well, I mean, all this stuff lives forever now on the internet so i mean people can right? still go back and if they search your name they'll see it forever and ever and ever so yes. that, the new book out today um it just came out this month actually is sex jesus and the conversations the church forgot which was what we'll be talking mm -hmm. about today you know sex is such an important topic in marriage you know we talk you know a lot about different uh, stresses on marriage sex is something that when you start the marriage it's one of the most important acts and then as you go along it becomes so you know, there's there's peaks and valleys to it, right? There's so mm -hmm. many things that right. can come up that can affect the intimacy level in relationships. So today we'll be talking about that. But I think beyond that, let's talk about what you mentioned about the church has forgotten the conversation. Mm -hmm. Really just kind of quickly talk about why that's a part of the title of the book. The reason I wanted to dive into this content from that direction was because oftentimes our sexual stories, our testimonies begin long before marriage. Um, and I know for me, struggles with sexual sin began at a very early age um, and moved through all of my adolescence prior to marriage. And so I felt, you know, once I was married, once I began to understand and learn the fullness of what God has to say about sex, what he intends for sex, this 
beautiful gift, this incredible weapon against the enemy, this unifying, powerful thing, and all the ways that the world is just twisted and cheapened and perverted it and idolized it, really. Um, I, I felt like there were just so many conversations, so many things I was beginning to learn and understand that no one had talked to me about in singleness, that no one had talked to me about growing up um, in the right context. You know, we get a lot of the times the do's and don'ts, the rule list, the rights and wrongs, but it's so much more about behavior modification. True understanding comes from heart transformation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I feel like a lot of the times we as the church, as the body of believers, we're we're selling ourselves short when we're sort of standing on the pulpit, shaking our frustrated fists at the world about their failing morality, but we're not addressing the aching, bleeding needs of people's hearts. It always begins at the heart. And it's what God always cares about, you know, above all else so deeply mm -hmm. because our actions are really an overflow of our heart. But I didn't understand any of those things. No one had talked to me about them. It seemed shameful. It seemed taboo. It seemed like conversations we just didn't have as Christians. And so um, I'm a little feisty. So once God started to reveal the reality of it to me, I was like, well, then I'll start the conversation. I'll talk about it because if I can help, you know, another person not struggle with porn from eight to 18, like I did, because no one had much to say about it, then heck, I'll air my dirty laundry if it'll help point people mm -hmm. to the glory of what God always intended. Mm -hmm. so yeah, it's cool. powerful. And the testimony is good. And Caitlin Edwards is with us today. She's one of our uh, senior writers here at Marriage Today. She does a lot with us. She's one of our resident millennials that knows what's going on with yeah. the next generation. And uh, so she's part of the podcast. She'll be asking you some questions. But from our perspective at Marriage Today, you know, you talk about pornography, you talk about some of these serious issues that people deal with, that they deal with in the darkness. And I just right. so am thankful that you bring some of those conversations to the light mm -hmm. because people don't really know how to uncover they don't really want to do it. It becomes a trap that they, they fall into. Mm -hmm. And, yeah. you know, there's so much stimulus around us that keeps us in that trap that it's hard yeah. for those triggers to, to kind of over be, be overcome through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God and all those sorts of things. What I've heard over and over again from uh, a lot of women that grow up in the church is they're told so many times how, you know, sex is dirty, don't do it until you get married. You know, it's all these sorts of things that are mm -hmm. negative. And then, oh, yeah. by the way, once you're married, it's supposed to be this wonderful thing. And so I've heard from so right. many guys. Just flip the switch. Yeah, just flip the switch, <laughs> where their wives mm -hmm. are kind of grossed out a little bit by it. And uh, they're not prepared mm -hmm. for the reality of all of that. Or it's not like what you've seen on television or in movies. And that's if that's especially your only experience with anything sexual has been some drama, dramatized version of it, be it through pornography right. or movies. Mm -hmm. That's all you've seen. You're bound to, you're disillusioned. Yeah, totally disillusioned. Yeah. Because there's just, yeah. it, there's just a... A difference to the reality of a human body that's not made up by Hollywood, you know, in the context of a relationship. And you see the, you see the, all the things. It's 24 hours a day of seeing this person and what they do, and and then you're supposed to get intimate with them. But I don't think the church does a great right. job of explaining that for women, especially for guys. Yeah. I tell my wife all the time, you know, guys are like, we're ready. Whatever. Let's go. Yeah. It's, it's not a conversation about. You know, if it's when, you know, so for us, I think it's a little different. Yeah. That not, that's not universal. I'm painting with a big brush. Some guys are different. But I think just universally speaking, when we're talking about the church and how they communicate about sex, I think men oftentimes struggle a lot with the pornography and the sexual stuff way before. And then I think so with, with some women, they've either, you know, gotten into, um, you know, promiscuity and this sort of thing before marriage, and they're trying to figure out how to do it the right way. But some people are just totally clueless when they get married. 
because the church hasn't yeah. educated them from that perspective. Yeah, there's so much. I mean, when we look at the word of God, we see so much truth that he speaks into sexuality as a whole, so much direction he gives us, and so much redemption and use of broken sexual testimonies. I mean, the word of God is riddled with sexual conversation. And so that's what confuses me a bit as to why the church is more silent about it. And especially right out of the gate, why the church misses celebrating sex as the incredible gift that it is from God. The first conversation God has with man involves sex, and it actually marries together sex with our inherent value. The first thing God talks about with man, he says, be fruitful, go forth, multiply. He's, he's speaking over us that we are his greatest design, creatures made in his image, and he immediately marries it with instruction and direction about sex. And so right off the bat in the word, if it is celebrated, I'm not sure why we miss the celebration element of that, because in reality, if we would have healthy conversation about what sex is, what it's intended for, I think in, in heart conversation, not just a, this is a beautiful gift, but just wait, just wait, 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 you know, wait mm -hmm. until you say I do and then flip the switch. If we would celebrate it from the get go and talk about the reasons why God calls us to obedience for his design, I think it would be something that we walk with in a much more healthy manner. And I think it would help lead women to understand we're sexual beings too. That's okay. That's, that's good. Singleness is a beautiful training ground for self-control in those ways. And then marriage becomes this opportunity to exercise this gift in a really beautiful fashion. And it would leave us less. There's so many, you know, church girls who, like you said, we're supposed to just stand at the altar and we've been saying no, 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 denying, 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 resisting, resisting. And then all of a sudden we're just supposed to be able to flip a switch and say, oh, here, have all of me. You know, sex is so amazing. And it's just, it leads into a lot of struggles in marriage. Either we're carrying in sexual baggage from our past, from a lack of understanding or from promiscuity or unrepentant sin or whatever it may be, the shame, the guilt that we navigate through a lot of times in singleness. We either bring that into marriage or we have this false expectation of like, oh, suddenly sex in marriage, is meant, it, it will complete me. Mm -hmm. Suddenly I can have this that I've been resisting. And, you know, just like you said, you get into, into marriage and sex is very different and it's beautiful, but it's also nothing mm -hmm. like the movies, nothing like pornography, nothing like this self-satisfying gain only. Mm -hmm. Right. Sex is self-sacrifice. Sex is a beautiful union. It's a model of the cross, really. It's laying down your life for another in such a beautiful way. But we miss that. We miss that when we have these false expectations or this lack of understanding or this lack of education. We enter into marriage carrying a, a, a ton of baggage and carrying a lack of understanding. And, and man, it says in the book, my sister-in-law told me the greatest quote. She said, in singleness, the enemy will do everything he can to drive you together. And in marriage, the enemy will do everything he can to drive you apart. Mm -hmm. well and it's just so true. Mm -hmm. It's just so true. And, um, so I don't know. I, I, I'm confused why the church fails to celebrate it as it should and educate as it should. Um, but I hope this book becomes a catalyst for those heart conversations, not just the behavior modification rights mm -hmm. and wrongs, but like 
the compelling reasons why it matters, mm -hmm. yeah. why we should care what God has to say about it all. Good. Mm -hmm. Well, we are going to dive into the book in the next segment, so uh, that's a great segue. Hey, Facebook, if we're going to be asking some questions in the third segment uh, to Mo from you, uh, if we ask your question on air, we're going to be giving away some books to those people, the, her brand new book uh, that just came out. But we'll talk about that in the next segment. You're going to want to watch Dave and Ashley Willis. This is a sex topic that they talked about uh, at the EXO conference in February. It's great stuff. So watch this, and we'll be right back, and uh, we'll see you right back here on the EXO podcast. But I grew up in a home where my parents literally, I think they had sex twice because they had me and my sister, okay? <laughs> Mom and Dad, if you watch this, you know I'm teasing, okay? Um, but, you know, I never heard any murmurings from the, the, the room next door, okay? What a creepy and, word. I know, sorry. I don't know why I said that. Okay. Um, if your sex sound is murmuring, you're doing it wrong. Should not be any murmuring okay, happening. Okay, screams. Yeah. All right. I never heard anything. Like, okay. And maybe they were just like really good at being quiet. But, and I never like walked in on anything and I certainly never saw them showing affection. Like it was just not, they were not affectionate people. I mean, they were good partners. And They're very I, loving. They, very they love loving each people, other. not affectionate to, to each other. Well, and even the church she grew up in with good intentions. Yes. You know, like how she was kind of taught about sex in youth group. It was just the thing you do not speak of, yes. right? It was like, it is the thing just do don't do it. Yeah. it. And it was always sort of talked about in sort of a, a dirty way. Now, And it was good intentions. Well, good intentions. And many of you probably can relate to this. I think it's in an effort to keep you chaste, to keep you chaste. I mean, and that's, that's really from a good, a good place. But in that effort, it just, it made me kind of terrified. I'll be honest. Yeah. So and, that's kind of where I was coming and from. I grew up in an opposite environment. Yes. Mom and dad were freaks, okay? Totally. I mean, they, they're the sweetest, yeah. Christian, godliest people, but they were they all over each other. It was like 50 shades of middle age. I mean, they were just, it was. They, were, they were all over each other. And so one of the yeah. first times, so, which, which was gross as a kid, yeah. but it actually made me excited to be married someday. I'm telling you, one of the best gifts, gifts you can give your, your children is to gross them out to the point where it grosses them out as a kid, but then makes them excited to be married someday because they secretly want the exact right, same that's thing. That's right, that's right. Yo, this is the XO Show with Mo, right? We're talking <laughs> to one of the best people to talk about sex and how it affects uh, just the conversations we're having amongst Christians and amongst believers and in the church affecting people that are struggling maybe with, you know, uh, the idea about sex and they may not understand fully how to have the best sex life ever. And so Mo Isom's with us on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us. Of course, my treat. Uh, we want you to read just an excerpt from your new book, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations the Church Forgot, if you wouldn't mind. This is an excerpt that we talked about before. I would love to, yeah. Um, in a chapter that's called Let's Call It Like It Is, it says, sex is an all-consuming, all-inclusive act of worship and praise. It can't stand alone as just a physical act or just an emotional act or just a mentally engaged decision. We can rationalize all day long that sex can be had in a detached manner, but in reality, we're only fooling ourselves. That argument is invalid and baseless, really, because sexual acts always tie souls. They always leave a mark. They were always intended to. Whether we carry them out within God's design is what determines whether that mark is a seal or a scar, because sexual acts were designed to bind two people. In the God-designed context between a husband and a wife, sex is one of the most powerful agents of unification, devotion, and surrender. 
but outside the guidelines God designated for his own invention, sexual acts become sin, and sin only ever serves to unhinge. Physically, sex includes a beautiful range of acts and expressions. Mentally, sex is a catalyst for the activation of unbelievably powerful neurotransmitters in our minds. Emotionally, sex is an expression of love, surrender, trust, and sacrificial service to one another. And spiritually, sex is a tangler of souls, a bonding agent that leaves a permanent imprint on our hearts and our spirits. Sex is powerful and purposeful and as simple as it is deeply complex. It is the most incredible and freeing gift in the appropriate context. That's good. Caitlin, you have some questions for her? Yeah. You you talk about um, sex in such a beautiful way, but you mentioned that it's not just about behavior modification. You were mentioning earlier that it's more about the heart. So what when you're communicating with someone who's experienced that past or you're trying to get to their heart, how do you do that? What do you, How do you differentiate between the behavior modification and getting to the heart of it? You know, you just see so many. This was so my story. So I say this coming from someone who learned every hard lesson, every hard way, but we you know, so often present the rule list, the do's and don'ts, the rights and wrongs. But the fact of the matter is we're human and we don't want to not do something just because someone says don't, you know, and, and honestly, millennials, especially we like, we move with this compartmentalized conscience. Mm -hmm. Like we, we do what we want to serve our wants and we sort of separate it from God. And then when the, when the action has repercussion, we remarry the two and suddenly we blame God or we're angry at God or we're resentful or we feel ashamed and we run from God. And it's like, yeah, when we are just focused on this following the rules type mentality around sex, we're just robbed of the fullness and the wholeness of what it even is. Just like in our faith walk, you know, living a, a, a spirit led life isn't just do's and don'ts. It isn't just religion. It's mm-hmm. relationship with God. And so the conversation about sex was always intended by God to be a living, breathing, heart compelled relationship, a, a guidance and an understanding that's grown out of love. But, you know, I talk about it early in the book, we're human and we're creatures made to worship, mm-hmm. but we've chosen to worship what's created rather than the creator we worship and idolize sex. We're obsessed with it. We're like all consumed by it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we miss the creator who made it and who, you know, had, had intent and design for it. And so I think it has to start at the heart. I think it has to start at the understanding of like our sexual deviance usually begins not with an intent to like be a bad person. Mm-hmm. To just one day we wake up and we're like, I'm going to go be promiscuous today because I just feel like it. Right. It always begins with the intent to be our own people rather than God's people, our intent to choose for ourselves, what we want, what we think is best for us, what we think will heal the wound we're suffering from, what's going to feel good in the moment. Mm -hmm. You know, we choose to choose for ourselves, just like Eve did in the garden. She didn't intend, you know, I'm going to be such a bad person and rebel from God. She was just curious. And her curiosity led her to become the Lord of her own life rather than trusting God's design. And that was like, so my story, and it just led me down such a broken path. Um, so I think it has to start at the heart rather than the rule list because Eve was told not to and she did it anyways. Mm-hmm. Right. Know? So when you confront so think, an issue like pornography, 
that does require some kind of behavior modification, how do you apply that yeah. principle? How do you talk about that? Or how, how do you get set free from an issue like that get, with the perspective that you're talking about? Of course, yeah. Behavior modification is important. I'm saying it grows out of heart transformation. Yeah. So uh, uh, impure actions grow out of an impure heart. Pure actions grow out of a pure heart. And so that behavior modification, of course, is essential in the equation. Um, mm-hmm. What it's compelled by is the root, you know, of, of why we would care, why it would matter. But yeah. I mean, man, with struggle with pornography, you know, I came to know Christ and, and it's hard. Suddenly it's not, again, like we don't stand at the altar and a flip a switch that suddenly sex is so great. We also don't just come to know, you know, clarity and flip a switch. And suddenly I can just avoid any and all entanglements. I was, you know, drowned by and pulled her by before it, it's a, often a process and it involves us dying to ourselves, dying mm-hmm. to our urges, our wants, taking thoughts captive, surrendering them to Christ. And so for me, you know, I came to know Christ and he, he immediately began to draw up my sexual sin for me to wrestle with, for mm-hmm. me to get hold of. And I think he does that for us often because sexual sin takes such a different toll on us. It's a sin against our own bodies, mm-hmm. you know? And so he brought up pornography to the surface with me and my prayer really had to become God, I can't do this on my own. This is still an urge. It still has this pull on me. So, so give me eyes to see the world as you do. Break my heart for what breaks yours and bind my heart to thee. That mm-hmm. was my prayer. Break my heart for what breaks yours and bind my heart to thee. Give me eyes to see the world that you do as you do. Give me ears to hear the cry of those who are hurting. Mm-hmm. And that was my prayer. It was a greater prayer of like, God, help me here. Give me new vision. And I opened the, the computer screen the next time I felt that urge to see pornography. And it, it almost made me sick to my stomach. He had literally answered those prayers of giving me new mm-hmm. eyes. And I couldn't look at it the same. Suddenly you see these women, not just as body parts for your instant pleasure, but as image bearing creations of God. Mm-hmm. Suddenly that's your sister or your, your, your mom or your friend, or suddenly it's humanized mm-hmm. because God always cares deeply for his people. And if you ask him to give you eyes as he sees the world, you are immediately, your heart's going to break for the world. And yeah. you're going to see humanity again. And it involves intentional actions of monitoring, of filtering, of getting accountability, of, you know, coming into community. But it also involves very intentional prayer of God, break this chain that is, that is binding me. Give me new eyes. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's specific and he'll do it. He will do it. And so I think there's a lot of power in that. It's really, really good. Uh, We're talking to Mo and we're asking her questions in the segment, but next segment, you can ask her some questions, Facebook. Also, if you're watching the podcast uh, from Thursday's edited episode, on Tuesdays around 2 o'clock in the Central Standard Time Zone, we have a a live opportunity to interact with our guests. So next Tuesday, feel free to tune in and and do that. But So I've got some questions for you. Um, You write about the idea of virginity being a works-based answer to a life-surrendering question. This is from some pages in your book, 42 and 43. Tell us about that. What do we miss when we only talk about virginity? It roots back to so much of what we've already been discussing. You know, when when I was younger, and I feel like so many of us, especially in the church, have done this, I learned a little bit about sex. And, you know, my mom, in a very simplified fashion, taught me, you know, God desires we, we you know, remain virgins until we're married. And I was like nine years old, and I made a proud proclamation of like, <laughs> then I will be a virgin until marriage. And it became this prideful banner of virginity 
because that that looked good. You know, if I could wave that and the church would applaud and, you know, the people would be, be you know, proud. My parents would be proud. And it began with the best of intention. But again, when temptation starts to enter the equation, when um, real sin struggles start to enter in, I continued to operate with like this banner of prideful virginity. Like we wear the promise ring and we have the diploma from our true love waits weekend, you know, and it's like, um, we cling to virginity, but we miss purity. And really, I think a lot of the times when we kind of pridefully cling to virginity, our question becomes, okay, so how far is too far? Like how, what all can I do and still be a virgin? What even counts, you know, Mm -hmm. and how far can I push this envelope? And that's, that's never God's desire for us. When we begin to focus on purity, pure of what comes into our eyes, pure of the words we're speaking, pure thoughts, pure actions to serve a pure and holy God, literally hung on a cross to purify our sins. When purity becomes our, our focus rather than just this prideful banner of virginity, the question shifts from how far it's too far to God, how close can I draw near? Mm-hmm. You know, reveal to me what you have for my life. And so I was the virgin like banner waver who was waking up in different sheets in college, you know, never <laughs> having gone all the way, but having mm-hmm. given so much of myself away. And I just know so many people who that's their same narrative. And um, God just cares so deeply for purity as his vessels. He desires to work through us. But, mm-hmm. you know, when we have impurity in our lives, it's, it's harder for the Holy Spirit to move through us fully. And so, um, yeah, he shifted my focus there. Yeah. Caitlin had a great comment before the program about modesty. I want you to ask that question. Yeah. It's in sort of in relation to purity, and this is a controversial topic today, just given the women's empowerment movement and everything, all of the focus on sexual assault and everything that's going on. But do you feel that women bear a responsibility towards modesty where uh, other men's sexuality is concerned? Is it our responsibility as women to take on that modesty in order to prevent, you know, they say your brothers from stumbling, whatever that is. Do you think we bear that responsibility? I think we do. Mm -hmm. Just as I think men bear a great responsibility to be honoring and how they carry themselves around women. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a one-way street here. I think it's a mutual understanding that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I talk about this in one of the chapters um, that's called Wandering for Worth. But a lot of the times, and this is what our culture waves, we want to wave this banner of like, I'm free to do what I want and what I please. You know, mm-hmm. it's my life. It's my body. It's what I want to wear. And that's, you know, my, my freedom to do. But Paul really calls us out on that. And basically in layman's terms, he says like, sure, you can do what you want, but is it beneficial? Mm-hmm. And if your desire for freedom is causing another to sin, then do you love Christ all that much? Mm-hmm. He's like really raw. It like caught me off guard when I came across that in scripture because he basically challenges to say like, you say you love God, but if you don't love people enough to carry yourself in a way that wouldn't lead them into sin, then do you? Mm-hmm. I was like, oh crud, when I came across that, like, no, I, I'm not always so intentional about that. I sort of do operate in this, how I want to dress, wear, carry myself, what I want to talk about. But man, the beautiful invitation we have is to be intentional, to live intentional lives. And mm-hmm. I often think how, especially we dress and carry ourselves as women is such an overflow of 
the security we have in our own hearts Mm -hmm. of knowing whose we are, of not needing affirmation or feedback from the world and also not needing to so freely exercise, sure, the freedom that we have, but freedom that might not be beneficial to others. And so it it shook my world a lot the Mm -hmm. day I started moving and understanding, okay, I don't need to just button up and dress all modest, you know, for the sake of doing it because... Mm -hmm. Of, of where other people's minds might go, but no, I want to, I want to do this in honor of mm-hmm. the God I serve and honor of the men around me and honor of the other women around me. Cause right. hello, a lot of the times women are dressing and acting certain ways, honestly, to, to one up the women around them. Right. Last question from us. Um, you are now happily married with two children. Uh, yet you write that marriage didn't free you of all your sexual struggles. Uh, what are your unrealistic sex expectations one can have in marriage and how can those be dangerous? There's so many different expectations I feel like we can carry into the marital, you know, space based on our past. Whether it was the very pure person who suddenly then expects sex to just blow their minds and complete them and they don't understand sort of the fullness and nature of it. Whether it was the extremely promiscuous person with no inhibitions who then expects, you know, their spouse to be able to meet their needs whenever, wherever, you know, it's a selfish gain type of view of sex or whether it's the couple, this was like my husband and I, we, we were struggling in sexual sin, but also were wrestling with great conviction because we knew and loved God as well. And it was always this roller coaster, like wrestling match of struggling and repenting, but then struggling again, and just this cycle. I think a lot of us get in, then you carry in this expect, this expectation into marriage um, that, that has a lot of baggage and for us at least became then like performance based, like mm-hmm. now we're in it. And so I just need to blow his mind and please him all the time. And, and it just, it became this performance versus understanding this beautiful sacrifice of coming together and vulnerability and, you know, that it looks different in different ways at different times. And, um, so what we really struggled with, the sex expectations I brought in was sort of that, you know, the world says we're supposed to do it this many times on our honeymoon, and I can't quite keep up with that. And <laughs> this is what it's supposed to be like, and this is what it looks like in the movies and, you know, all the, this pornography that I've seen, but this isn't really the reality, and it was just kind of a mess. But mm-hmm. what I love is that on our honeymoon, I was like crying. It was like night four of our honeymoon, and it was like night four of me crying after, <laughs> after coming together because I was so frustrated and things just weren't working and it was so maddening. And my husband just pulled me in at one point and just dove into prayer mm. with both of us. And in such a beautiful and honestly, kind of beautifully desperate capacity, just invited Jesus into the bedroom and invited Jesus into our sex life and remarried these things that were never meant to know divide God and sex and it, it just began to shift the whole trajectory of our marriage and our sex life and our understanding as a whole of, of the beauty of what God intends in it. And so, yeah, we can bring in a lot of sex expectations. And I think the greater percentage of us do. But there's also such beautiful redemption and mm-hmm. healing and truth that can be invited in as well that can resuscitate our marriages and can revive our sex lives. and. Mm-hmm you know, we can move in healing from our past. We just got to wrestle with it in the present and surrender it. You do a phenomenal job of talking about such a hard 
topic. You know, it's difficult to talk about sex so openly. You do a great job at it. Uh, so what can parents or youth group leaders or church leaders do about having better conversations about sex? How do you coach people in that regard? Well, I wrote a book. It's called Sex, Jesus, <laughs> and the Conversations of the Church for God. Um, no, it's, it truly, I really do think this book is such a great resource, um, no matter whether you're male or female, whether you are in leadership or whether you are a student, even in the youth group. Um, it can unpack so much more than I can face-to-face in 30 minutes. But I think it's important that we begin to equip ourselves and educate ourselves in theologically sound manner and also beautifully heart-breathed truth of, of talking about the root, talking about the repercussions, talking about the beauty of God's design and the brokenness when it's out of God's design, starting these conversations. But it begins with, because I know there's like a lot of leaders watching this who are like, that's super ideal, but I don't even know how to answer all the questions right now. Mm -hmm. Like this world is such a Pandora's box of uh, all the things right Mm -hmm. now. I think a lot of people in leadership really feel like I don't even know how to speak into this or how to answer the questions appropriately. So we as leaders bear the responsibility of educating our minds and our hearts Mm -hmm turning to God's word, seeking what he has to say about sex, looking at the life of Jesus and how he handled sexual brokenness. I see a God who used Rahab in the lineage of Jesus Christ, a prostitute he uses in the lineage of Jesus Christ. I see a God who who sits with the woman at the well and in the face of all of her sexual filth, he stays and he offers her living water that she would never thirst again. Uh, and then he, he compels her, it compels her into evangelism. The woman at the well is the first person that Jesus gives permission to in the release of his ministry to go and tell them who he is. Tell him he's the Messiah. Even the the whore at the well, the sexually broken, he desires to redeem and to use. Mm -hmm. I see a Jesus who doesn't cast the first stone at the adulteress who everyone's ready to condemn. But instead, instead, he says, in response to my great love and mercy for you, go and sin no more live differently, run, flee from sexual sin and, mm-hmm. and, and hold on to me as your steadfast truth. So I see all through the word of God, God beautifully address sex in such a powerful capacity. And we as leaders bear the responsibility of equipping our minds and equipping our hearts with the ways to truthfully have these conversations and be able to have them freely like this. It's not taboo. It's a gift from God. We've got to reclaim sex for the glory of God. And that begins with educating ourselves about what he even has to say about it. Great. Great stuff. Good. Hey, we're going to come back live on the next segment and answer questions from Facebook. Great questions and answers this segment. Uh, Thanks for joining us for this segment, Mo. We'll be right back. Hey, uh, Facebook Live audience, stick around. We'll be right back. Exo Podcast listeners, we love you. Thanks for sticking around. Uh, We'll be right back with Mo. And watch this clip. This is another clip from Dave and Ashley Willis. It's really good. And we'll be right back to talk about it. See you then. One of the first times they're meeting Ashley, and I'm just like, I just want to be a good impression. I just really like this girl and this stuff. And so my mom, I want you to picture this, talking about different (laughs) sexual, like just how we were raised. The picture this is she's raised in a home where it's not talked about. First meeting, restaurant, public place. They're sitting down. My mom's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. You're so pretty. Oh, my goodness. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. Let's sit down. Let's sit down. And then she goes, oh, my bottom. Yeah. Yeah. What's happening? (laughs) And then she said, 
you're probably wondering why my bottom's sore. No, we're not. True story. I've had counseling, PTSD. Okay. She starts telling this story that I don't want to hear, but I'm, I'm fighting the gag reflex, so I can't stop her. I'm like, uh, uh. So she said, well, before we came here, I had just gotten out of the shower. Yes. And your father, she used this word, I swear she did, was tantalizing, tantalizing. me. Yes. Tantalizing. What does that even mean? And then she said he was chasing me around the bathroom. Yep. Trying to spank me with my curling iron. She, a true story. True story. Yes, that's right. And she said, and I was trying to get him to stop. I was like, Brad, stop it. Stop it. Because he didn't realize I'd had it plugged in. I was getting ready to use it. Yep. And then yep. he spanked me with it on my bare bottom. And singed. And he singed, he singed me. It. And I, so yeah. I'm a little bit sore. What are you going to have for lunch? <laughs> so, a little, <sighs> that's my life. Mom and dad, I love you guys. I They're love awesome. you, I love you, I love They're you. Awesome. I want to oh, be like you when I grow up. <laughs> Hashtag curling iron, you know? Welcome back, everybody, to the EXO Podcast, brought to you by Marriage Today. We are loving talking to you about marriage and also sex today. This is a great topic. Everyone wants to know more about how to have the best sex of their life. Obviously, we love to talk about it in the context of a godly relationship and in the context of uh, monogamy and marriage. And, And really, you go through seasons of life, you have different times where it's great and other times where you may struggle. And as you uh, kind of go around your journey of marriage, we love to bring about the topic in all different ways. But uh, obviously today we have Mo Isom, who's an expert and is doing a great job talking about how we can have important conversations in the church about sex and about relationships. And so welcome back, Mo, to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be back. Let's call it a sexpert. I just thought of that. We yes. should like copyright that. <laughs> you are yeah, sexpert. Sexpert. <laughs> Marriage today, sexpert. Expectations. Um, so yeah. <laughs> we are uh, we're talking about sex and we have some great um, questions coming in from Facebook if you're ready for them. I'm ready. Uh, so this is a great question. Catherine uh, on Facebook says, hi, Catherine. Thanks for tuning in. My <laughs> husband and I recently had a conversation regarding the scripture verse saying to keep the bed, the marriage bed undefiled. Can you comment on that? Yeah. I mean, I'd love to know, Catherine, what you and your husband talked about. But I think what is beautiful in that scripture and, and what God is speaking to is of the sacred and holy context of sex within marriage between a husband and wife, a monogamous relationship of love, of surrender, of um, service, of receiving um, great affection. I think so many times there's obviously very uh, (laughs) broken ways that we can undefile the marital bed. But I think a lot of the times we struggle in defiling the marriage bed in using sex against our spouse, kind of as a give or take um, tool, something we withhold. It's something we can often manipulate. Um, It's something that, you know, not in the most obvious defiling manner of, you know, another being in the marital bed or 
um, in different, very broken things, but just in the simple ways. I think sometimes we defile that that holy ground that should be, you know, the sexual relationship between a husband and a wife, and we forget that that is this beautiful gift that is meant to, in all ways, edify, unify, um, strengthen and bring together a husband and a wife. And, you know, I even catch myself guilty of this sometimes of kind of wielding it is like a tool a little bit, you know, or withholding or, or this or that, but God invites us into this beautiful sacrificial relationship with one another. And I think that in the small day-to-day ways that we honor our spouse helps significantly to keep the, the, the bed between a husband and a wife undefiled. Um, and so that looks different, different days. Sometimes it's truly just laying down your life for your spouse, even if you're not in the mood or don't want it or whatever it may be. Sometimes it's coming together, even, you know, after argument, sometimes it is playful. Sometimes it's romantic, you know, whatever it looks like. But I really do think that that scripture speaks a lot to the day-to-day ways that we can honor our spouse um, and love them fully in that capacity. Mm-hmm. So I hope that answers that a little bit. Let it's me, sort of broad, but let me because my dad speaks a lot about sex in churches, and so he has to be very <laughs> careful about what he says. So he speaks with general things, but I think sometimes people have specific uh, things in mind that they may want to talk about. And our office is right above a Victoria's Secret, uh, so I feel like we can talk <laughs> openly about sex. <laughs> We're not in a church, no. But I think, like for example, you know, um, you know, we get a lot of questions in at marriage today, and a lot of it's like you know, certain, you know, acts and positions and sex toys and things like that. What is permitted in the bed? I think pornography, obviously extra people, you know, sex robots. I don't know. Those (laughs) things are all weird. Uh, But no, bringing all that stuff in additional people or additional, you know, things like that uh, are off limits, are off limits. But other things that necessarily aren't, you know, um, maybe convicting for everybody. I I think people carry certain convictions in that that shouldn't. uh, And certain, certain convictions are obviously by one spouse or the other need to be honored. Uh, but if right. two people are honestly both okay with something and it's not immoral, mm-hmm. how do you coach them on that? Yeah, that's a great question. And honestly, one that I know we have sort of fleshed out in our sex life, but actually no one's ever asked me about it or, or mm-hmm. I haven't spoken into and you can it be yet. As, I really, you can tiptoe do around I? it. You don't have to go. I'm not asking you to reveal anything. I'm just saying like, I think that's no, part no, of the conversation yes. that people have. Is, is this okay? 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 They want to kind of know right. because they feel weird about it because nobody's ever talked about it. And, um, and I'm not asking you to go through the list, but I'm just saying, <laughs> I think part of the undefiled bed is somebody, you know, sometimes maybe one spouse feels weird about it and they're not sure. And they yeah. kind of want to make sure that they're not, they may not have a conviction, but they just want to make sure they're not sinning. Right. Yeah. No, I would think, um, to answer again, it might seem broad, but I'll try to speak more specifically to that. Um, I think the heart condition there is that the husband and the wife, first and foremost, would need to both be on the same page about something Mm -hmm. and convicted the same way or not convicted at all about something. I think, you know, the picture of us laying down our life for our spouse is not just one to the other. It is both mutually to each other. And so if there's something, you know, a position or whatever it may be that one spouse is just like, I'm not okay with this. I I think we have a great responsibility to honor our husband or our wife in that capacity. But I'm also sort of in the camp of like in the marriage bed, it's that's where we get like we don't have to be stuffy Christians. That's where we get to have some fun and mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know explore one another and delight in one another and um 
as long as it is honoring to one another and honoring to God, um, go to prayer with it. If you feel this tension about, you know, this or that, or I haven't, I don't even know. Ask God, ask God what, where his heart lands on it. Talk mm-hmm. to one another. I think being equally yoked and open in prayer and conversation about those things um, can dispel a lot of that guilt or shame or curiosity. But I'm also a little bit in the camp of like, hey, you had to wait till you said I do. You said I do. Let's do it. You know, it's like it's it's different things you can just explore and and enjoy one another with, and not feel like you have to be so regimented in what is what is okay and what is not. But more of like God, we're just giving you the glory in this, and does what you're doing give Him the glory? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What does your dad say? The sex and marriage is a really big yard with a really tall fence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can, there's a lot of room to run around in. <laughs> yeah, whenever. run around in it. I right. <laughs> but exactly. as long as you're both okay running in the same right. same way. Exactly. Okay, Michelle, she uh, read your book. She has the question. She said your book presents some very transparent moments of your own personal narrative regarding the topic of sex. Was there ever a moment while you were writing that you wanted to reserve some specifics or stray away from being as transparent as you were? Fifty thousand percent. Yes. <laughs> there were moments where I literally wrestled, Mm -hmm. like was nauseous, could not in particular, um, in the chapter, um, I'm going to forget the chapter title, but, um, in the darkness, uh, the chapter where I talk about the darkness and write out the gates in that chapter, talk about my involvement in an affair and unknowingly being involved with a married man because I was drunk in college and Mm -hmm. wasn't thinking clearly. And he was out with us and I had never told anyone about that except my husband and one friend. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there writing about this topic of like how we pervert privacy and actually stuff our deepest sins into the darkness. And God's like, you have to talk about like your turning point. Cause that was a massive turning point for me. Mm -hmm. When I woke up the next morning, hung over and was like replaying the night in my head and realized whether he was separated, whether he was, you know, still mm-hmm. married, whatever it may be that I was potentially an adulteress because of my lack of intentionality. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a nauseating turning point for me. Um, and so I'm like writing about this chapter, like, what is the narrative that would really bring this to life? And God's like, you have to say it, you have to talk about it. You have to talk about it. Uh Y'all, can I tell you the fear I had when I knew my mom was going to pick up this book and read it? I never told anyone, and God really compelled me to share some of those things. And they're real, and they're honest, and they're hard. But as soon as I put those things to paper and fought, we have to fight sometimes. God desires our authenticity, our vulnerability, our testimonies. Mm -hmm. And the enemy will say, no, 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 no. That's too shameful. That's too much. That's too broad. What will people think? You know, how will people respond? But if Mm -hmm. we can fight through that attack and, and... and share truth. Mm-hmm. As soon as I got those those words down the paper, I knew there were women and men who would need to read this because that had been a part of their story too. Yeah. And so again, it's that dying to self in order to point to the glory of the cross, you know. And um, that was so hard. And shame. And I think then is... what's been so funny is since it's come out, no one mentions that part of the book. <laughs> it's like people are like, "Oh, of course you would be in an adulterous mm-hmm. relationship. No big deal. <laughs> Let's move on to the next chapter." And I'm like, I thought this would literally like destroy my ministry, yeah. but sure enough, it has spoken to and reached people in really amazing ways. And I think 
it just God will do it. He'll just mm-hmm. use our vulnerability in the most beautiful ways. Mm-hmm. That, that shame is such a, it's probably the reason we don't talk about it in church. There's so much shame and it's false yeah. shame. Once you get it out there, you realize I'm not alone. I'm, it's okay. It's okay yeah. to talk about, but that shame just keeps you quiet. Yeah, it takes bold leaders like so you true. to step out and say, hey, listen, I'm okay talking about it. I'm going to talk about it in a really uh, a way that can explain it without being weird or, you know, yeah. um, uh, you know, like I said, tiptoeing around it. I mean, just talking real talk the way it is without feeling like, you know, you're going to get kicked out of the church or people are going to destroy mm-hmm. your whole ministry. Yeah. Because yeah. I would say that by and large, most people, especially Christians, want to talk about it. And David and Ashley Willis talk about this all the time. <laughs> Their posts and they talk about sex. Like one of our best uh, articles on our website is about marriage and masturbation. People read the article, yeah. but they don't share the article. Right? They're not, yeah, they're yeah, not yeah, sending yeah. it to their family and their friends going, hey, read this awesome article about marriage and masturbation. I've really been struggling in that area. <laughs> so it is something where it gets a little bit, uh, you can, my dad says people get real nervous in the audience. You can tell he just tries to get them to loosen up a little bit. Just let's worth yeah. talking about things that everybody does. Mm-hmm. Nobody would be here on the planet if people didn't have sex. So let's just talk yeah. about it in the right way. So Ramona on Facebook says, hi, Ramona. So many women let go of sex in the marriage as they get older. It seems that men yeah. don't do that when they get older. Where is the balance to this? Oh, that's a beautiful question. Um, and I'm, you know, speaking into it, I'm, I'm 28. I'll put that on the table. We're, we're, you know, three years into marriage. And so I don't intend to share any of this with someone older thinking, you know, rolling their eyes at, well, she doesn't understand this season of life and it's different and I feel this way. But, you know, I think we can speak truth into the fact that, um, it doesn't matter if you're 28 or if you're, if you're 98, you're still in a beautiful partnership, a marriage with someone. And, um, there's, there's beautiful in, invitation to continue in intimacy in all the way. I'm not even just talking about the action in the, in the bed. I'm talking about all the intimate ways that we can't let the busyness of life or the timetable of life or, you know, the changes in our body that bring us into insecurity or any of these things, we can't let them rob us of the unifying intimacy that God gifts us with in marriage, no matter how long we've been married. I think husbands have needs and wives have needs. And if we can continue to understand, it's not just this physical thing to check off the list, but sex is always a beautifully unifying gift. And so for me, at least it changes the whole feeling in our household. When we come together, we're frustrated, we're stressed. It's been busy. There's a lot going on. Kids are sick, whatever it may be. When we come together, it shifts the whole feeling in our heart towards our spouse. It's vulnerable and it's open and, um, it continues to cultivate more and more intimacy. And so I, it, it hurts, it hurts my heart that many married couples move on through the years and sex moves to the back burner, at least maybe for one spouse, but then it's a point of tension for the other, you know, and they're afraid to vocalize it or it's not meant or whatever it may can take a lot of different forms and functions. But I just think we have this beautiful invitation for our whole life long to continue to cultivate intimacy, Mm -hmm. just like God desires for us to continue to grow in relationship and intimacy with him. It's a beautiful parallel to marriage and to the bedroom. Different seasons will hold different things, but we can always continue to grow and cultivate intimacy and it will shift, it will shift our marriages and it will shift the feeling in our home, shift us because sex is unifying Mm 
And I think it always brings together more than it drives us apart. So yeah, I, have I hope a qu- that answers that a little I bit. I have a question for God when I see him in heaven. <laughs> uh, you know, men's libidos peak in their 20s and women's peak in their yeah. 40s. And so there's no, there's no like correlation between the two, like matching up perfectly. And my dad always says, if both of your libidos are perfectly matched at any point in time, you'll have the most wild, passionate sex ever. Put a plaque right <laughs> where that happened and like yeah. memorialize, memorialize that time and position because it happens very, so few times where you're yeah. both just 100% ready to go. Let's do this. It, and, you know, I've been married for 20 years. There's, there's, there are just seasons of life that you go through. There's honeymoon seasons, and then there's seasons where you have kids, and then there's seasons where you're you know, just stressed. I think stress is a huge factor in people's yeah. intimacy and sex life because and you're all in the season of having kids and raising kids, and we kind of all are. Uh, when you have those sorts of daily demands and then to think about, oh, by the way, we also have to spend time together and, and create the romance, that's a big deal. I mean, people are really trying to figure out how to keep the intimacy while crazy things are happening. But again, going back to yeah. the fact that women as they age, sometimes they do. There's, there, is a, there is a scientific fact that, you know, hormones change, you know, bodies change, everything changes. And for men too, yeah. that's why there's uh, commercials all the time when you're watching <laughs> golf, PGA events for Cialis. Is because <laughs> men men yeah. want, uh, still want to be active, but sometimes your body changes. And, and I feel like people aren't as proactive as they should be to resolve those issues. There's doctors, there's yeah. specialists, there's so many people out there that can help these days. There's no excuses. Yeah. You know, there, there's handicaps and there's things that happen, but there's no excuses for not exploring all your options. Right. And honestly, there's so many different ways that you can meet one another's needs. Mm -hmm. You know, you talk about the biological. And so, you know, without getting graphic on, yeah, what happens and the changes in a woman's body at different times, like and how that impedes the ease of sex at time, there's different ways you can serve one another. Mm -hmm. And there's different acts that you can meet needs. And like I said, it can even stretch outside of the bedroom of cultivating romantic relationship together in the continued pursuit of one another's hearts. And honestly, I'll just speak quite frankly here, but if, if a husband can continue to cultivate and romance a wife, it's amazing how her body can come around at the end of the day when she's tired. <laughs> but if she's been loved and it's been built up for her, I mean, the body can adjust and it can still go down. So I'm just saying there's lots of different ways we can serve one another in the bedroom and out, but there's a definite need to continue to cultivate intimacy. And, and like you said, seeking help, looking for options, ways to continue to, to facilitate sex because it is beautiful and it it changes the game mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, it's unifying. And so, um, do what you got to do to make it happen. You know, Mm -hmm. it's good. Well, that's good. Thanks, guys, for the questions on Facebook. Mo, you were awesome today. And, Thanks. Uh, yes. It was a treat to be on with you guys. Great questions. So, so great book out right now, Sex, Jesus, and the Conversations of the Church Forgot. This is Mo's new book, brand new book. And your first book was a best-selling Times author, uh, best-selling uh, New York Times. <laughs> new York Times. One of those. It was a really good. It was a New York Times best-selling book. Uh, and the title of that yeah. book was uh, Break. Wreck My Life. Wreck My Life. Wreck My Life. Yep. Wrecked my life. And it was a story about a Jeep flipping over three times. I remember that. So There's a little piece in there about that. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, but yeah, that was my testimony of coming to know Christ as a whole. So this, the new book really pieces apart my sexual testimony, but Wrecked My Life was like my true coming to faith text testimony of a lot of adversity and then a lot of healing. Um, so 
Yes, snag a copy of that one too. It, go, it helps understand. And go Google Mo Isom Sports Center. <laughs> 90 yard goal. Yeah, Sports Center top 10 <laughs> plays, and you'll see her kick. Your leg was amazing. I'm surprised you didn't make it to the men's football team. You tried out, right? <laughs> I did. I did. I spent a great deal of time training with the men's football team. I could hit a 53-yard field goal, too. I'll oh, just my put that goodness. That's that awesome. That's very, wise. very impressive. But, yep. No, that's yeah. great. So thanks for being on the XO podcast today. We really enjoyed it. My treat. Thank you guys so much. Uh, and where can they buy the book? You can buy the book anywhere books are sold. So Amazon, get it at your, at your door the next day. Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Lifeway. Um, it is out there on Amazon too. You can always get like the audible version. And I got to narrate that, which was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. as well as a Kindle version, anywhere, anywhere you get a book, you can get this book. It's good. It's awesome. for men and women, but if you're a church pastor, a leader, uh, somebody that can affect, uh, the conversation around you, I encourage you to get the book so you can just use this as a conversation starter Share to it. help educating people on how to have a better relationship and understand sex from a godly perspective. And so Go check out her website as well, moisom.com, M-O-I-S-O-M.com. There's no Y in there. And uh, we, uh, we enjoy talking to people like Mo who have such a great ministry and are so articulate about such important subjects. And so uh, please go out and check out her stuff. Also, you can go to exomarriage.com forward slash podcast for all of our information for the podcast. Tell your friends about it. Subscribe to the feed. And thank you again, Facebook Live audience. We enjoy being with you every week. We'll see you next week. And I hope you guys have a great... Caitlin, you want to sign off too? Signing off. Thanks. Goodbye, everybody. It's been great. All right, see you guys. (laughs) Bye-bye.